Hey everybody, it's Bill Courtney with an army of normal folks, and we continue now with part two of our conversation with Christina Mendez, right after these brief messages from our generous sponsors. Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. It is 2024, and we're gonna get through this together, folks. My campaign promise to all of you, here on Next Question, it's going to be a good time the whole time, we hope. I have some big news to share with you on our season premiere featuring Kris Jenner, who's got some words of wisdom for me on being a good grandmother, or in her case, a good lovey. You know, you start thinking of what you want your grandmother name to be. Like, are they going to call me grandma like I called my grandmother? So I got to choose my name, which is now Lovey. I'll also be joined by Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, to name a few. So come on in and take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. I loved it. Your energy and joy. I'm squeezing every minute I can for you out of this season of Next Question. Last question, I promise. You have to go. I have to go. (laughs) But it's been so fun. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Okay, let's return to Christina on what her first job was at Servant's Heart. It's an insistent to to John, the director, mm-hmm. you know, certainly wasn't a promotion from what I was working in the city. I would imagine <laughs> it was financially a step back, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. But I think I think I had in the in the years since I had come back from overseas, it had been this journey of like, I want to do something that has more purpose that serves the community. I want to do that more often than just my job than just on the weekends um and so by that point again it's funny because i look back and i'm like it seems like such a spontaneous thing to do but it was just something that i feel like god had prepared me to want and so took a took a pay cut and and signed up to serve in this ministry that didn't have a lot of formality and kind of come alongside and help manage the office so what are you now so now I, um, I'm a director of kind of operations and marketing. We're still a little small, so I'm wearing two different hats. <laughs> but now I basically help, help the director kind of lead and operate the ministry. So kind of taking vision and how do we, how what do we create? marketing look like? Marketing isn't as fancy as some of these big, big cor- corporations, but it's a lot of, I mean, I do, I've, designed all the website and all the marketing materials and I was doing all the social media up until maybe two years ago and and kind of formulating I added when I first came into the ministry there was a rough mission statement some rough kind of like a brochure that was made and so kind of it was fun because I came in to just kind of work in the office but I got to use all of my creative gifts to kind of figure out okay well how do we how do we use how do we brand this in a way that really communicates the heart of what's already happening? How do we make this look as legit than as it is? <laughs> so all right, so so how does it work? A nonprofit as a house for uh like like in North Memphis, there's a thing called a Hope House. Mm. Okay. And Hope Presbyterian Church, which mm-hmm. is out in the county. 40 miles from here, 20 miles from here, put in a thing called uh, the Hope House. Hmm. And the Hope House was a house that they 
fixed up and made nice for kids, mm-hmm. latchkey kids, to have somewhere to go after mm-hmm. school ended and before their parent came ho- home that was safe and there would be snacks and sure. quiet places to do um, homework and the person that ran the house was there to help with homework and mm-hmm. just got it was a it was a transition place between the end of school and when Paris got home they called sure. it Hope House but it was in an old crappy house sure. in a dilapidated area and they fixed it up so if someone wanted to put that in New Jersey mm-hmm. and had the volunteers for it but didn't have the skill to fix it up would they sure. call you yeah, we've got an application on our website. They would uh-huh. fill out an application. We'd send our project managers for a site visit. And Who's then also a volunteer? Uh no, staff. Now. now we now we've got so at the time the director was doing all of it. So got the director it. would go, we didn't there was no application actually, but <laughs> they would call, the director would visit, kind of reassess, and then basically project manage and send out our volunteers with their volunteers if the if the nonprofit had um and then basically gc the project oh and so and and then all of the labor all the contractors are volunteers all everyone's volunteer what about the materials cost they would pay for materials okay so let's say a project to rehab this place was fifty thousand dollars Typically, the materials might be twelve to fifteen, and the labor thirty-five. Sure, you're telling me they take that fifty thousand dollars project and, with your help, reduce it to a twelve to fifteen thousand dollars project. Absolutely. All they're well, I mean that's huge, and huge. you're not actually doing the ongoing work, but you're providing them the space to do their work. Absolutely. Which is why I say you're a nonprofit for nonprofits. Absolutely, it's very cool. That is very cool. It's very cool. Okay, so you, how long have you been there? So I'm about a little over five and a half years And so now. you've gone from this handful of middle-aged guys that taught a 27-year-old yeah. girl how to do something other than tote pails of water. <laughs> I'm never going to live that down. That's pretty funny. <laughs> but I'm just thinking like mules. Anyway, <laughs> what um, what is it now? So now... Meaning like in size? People, yeah. People. So we've got a staff. I think I just scheduled a staff meeting for next week with 15 of us. You're kidding. Yeah, yeah. How many volunteers? So we probably, so we've got kind of a blend of volunteers. We've got, you know, some people that come like every so often and then we've got regulars. So we probably have over 300 throughout the year. But then between our job sites and our trades program, which we haven't talked about yet, we will probably have about 100 consistent ones that keep us going. And then- What is consistent ones? Weekly? So, yeah, we've got a lot of- We have a lot of volunteers that come like almost every Saturday or all of our trades program, which we'll talk about, is run completely by volunteers. No staff. Unbelievable how much it's grown. It is unbelievable. In the midst of all this, you started this trades program. Am I saying that right? Yep. So what is that? So our trades program is a training and mentorship program. So in 2019, John, had our director, had this vision to to have more intentional training of the next generation because our job sites, as much as everybody cares about training people up, there's still a job to do. So it's kind of a hard environment to get the project done and train people. So we had this vision for this trades program. Um, he connected with another uh, a contractor who was really passionate about it. Obviously, you know the world knows what's happening in the industry and the need for workers. Um, well, let's let's talk about that because yeah. that affects my business. Absolutely, I'm in the lumber business, right? right? And right. my stuff doesn't build houses; it furnishes it. Softwoods build a house, hardwoods right. furnish it. Think right. of it that way, right? Yeah, yeah. So my stuff goes to make furniture and flooring and cabinets and yep. case goods and molding and millwork, things like that. Right. Well, I'm still able to find enough labor to soldier through. It's not yeah. easy. Um, but I can't tell you how many mm. people I sell product to in the United States, a cabinet shop, for instance, that is having the hardest time in the world finding one <laughs> someone to run woodworking machinery to mite it or gather uh, parts to make furniture right. or cabinets or flooring. And then two, when that's made, 
and there's a construction worker out there. Yeah. There's a there's a there's a construction contractor out there who actually is building the house or the business or whatever and needs to install this stuff and build the frame and all. They are struggling mightily to find bricklayers and floor layers and 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 framers and oh my gosh, uh, millwrights and guys to hang moldings. Oh, trim carpenters! Yeah. Holy moly! Yeah. And and roofers and all of this and. Every year it seems to get worse. There's yeah. fewer and fewer. And like the builders that I talk to tell me what's really scary is not only are there fewer and fewer, the ones they're depending on mm-hmm. aren't 40 anymore. They're like 55. I and know. they know in five, six, seven, eight years, these guys are going to retire. Yeah. And there is nobody in the pipeline. No one coming in. Yeah. To continue these skills. Yeah. So that's what's really going on, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And everywhere in, you know, obviously I'm new to this world, but I've being in this world, I've learned that everywhere, all over New Jersey, all of these contractors that are coming out to serve, they're all hurting for workers. Um, And so I think some of our momentum of our growth is because we found a need that needed to be met and everyone gets it. It's like, so he connects with this with one of our volunteers who runs his own contract, you know, contracting company. And basically we start working on this vision for this trades program, which would not just teach skills, but then the other side of that need is we're in this this inner city of Patterson where I imagine it's not unlike Memphis, right, where you've got a whole generation that's kind of struggling to come get out of poverty right and there's it's true you've got this world this industry that needs workers but then no one's training this generation yeah you've got this industry that's dying for workers (laughs) and people think you know to be clear uh a guy that's really handy framing people are happy to pay them 20 bucks an hour or more absolutely um so you got this need for what is called skilled labor that is actually because there's such a um, a deficit of that labor, the pay for it's really high. Absolutely. Meanwhile, you got this labor pool yeah. who is highly uneducated and trained, untrained, not stupid, uneducated, right, uneducated, untrained, begging for jobs, living in poverty. And success is where the two would meet. Right. And you're providing a way for them to meet. We'll be right back. Every family has skeletons in their closet. Mine certainly does. Ones that go back a hundred years and reach thousands of miles back to our hometown in Sicily. Ever since I can remember, my relatives told the story of my great-great-grandmother who was killed by the mafia. I'm Joe Piazza, and in my new podcast, I'm taking on a generational vendetta, visiting the scene of the crime, confronting mafia experts tracking down Italian officials, and even consulting mediums to set the record straight on my great-great-grandmother's mysterious disappearance. And in between the fact-finding missions, I'll be drinking a lot of wine and eating all of the pasta. Come to Italy with me to solve this hundred-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. It is 2024, and we're going to get through this together, folks. My campaign promise to all of you here on Next Question is going to be a good time the whole time, we hope. I have some big news to share with you on our season premiere featuring Kris Jenner, who's got some words of wisdom for me on being a good grandmother, or in her case, a good lovey. You know, you start thinking of what you want your grandmother name to be. Like, are they going to call me grandma like I called my grandmother? So I got to choose my name, which is now Lovey. 
I'll also be joined by Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, to name a few. So come on in and take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. I loved it. Your energy and joy. I'm squeezing every minute I can for you out of this season of Next Question. Last question. I promise you have to go. I have to go. (laughs) But it's been so fun. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This was kind of a meeting of the two worlds and the two needs. And so we call it a mentorship program because it's not quite a trade school because, you know, trade schools, the cost is skyrocketing. Right. And so our population can't afford that. That's everybody says, well, the trades are the way to go and trade schools are the way to go. I agree. But how does it how does a person <laughs> living in poverty pay for trade school? And especially because most of the Pell Grant and that kind of money is only for four year anniversary, four right. year anniversaries, four year universities. So there's a problem getting into the trade schools. Right. And even if you commit to a trade school, you better know which trade you want because mm-hmm. the second you sign up, you're going to pay all this money. And then when you get out into the field and you decide, oh, wait, maybe electrical wasn't for me. Yeah, HVAC sucks, but I really like right. framing. <laughs> right. Now I got to start all over. Right. And, you know, I think, you know, our director and a lot of these trades guys, you know, they grew up with parents that showed them all of these things, right? They they grew up learning how to swing a hammer and they had this exposure that they could make an educated decision on which to navigate. The trade they want to follow. Right. But like how can a Patterson kid that can barely afford, you know, one year of this trade school, let alone all of that, choose choose a field when they've had no well, also never had anybody in the orbit doing any of this work. They don't right. even you say HVAC I don't even know what that means. Right. They don't know what the career, what that career what holds. That looks like. And each one is very different in terms of personality and and pref- preferred skills. So even though there's a lot of skills that unite all the trades, there's still, you know, each, you know, each person is fit for a different kind of trade. So you have a mentoring program. Yeah. And now how do you get kids and I'm saying kids, young adults, teenagers, high school grads, whatever, from Patterson Mm -hmm. to come to your mentorship program to learn a trade. How do they, how do they know what's available? Sure. And how do you convince them it's a good thing? And then what does it look like when those kids who largely come from a place where work work ethic isn't always well demonstrated, interact with people who have unbelievable work ethic? (laughs) Sure. I've got to believe there's a, 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 a cultural clash that happens at first. You know what? It Not as much as you'd think. And I think it's because – well, I'll answer a few – one question first. Okay. The, the course that we started with – now we've got four courses running. But the course we started with is called the CPM course. stands for Critical Path Method, um, which is basically, for those that don't know, um, the – um, the process of construction established by the Army Corps of Engineers that means that says you can't run electrical before there's a roof on. Basically, like it's the common sense logic of the process in which you build. And so we call it foundation that. Foundation first, I guess. Right, foundation first. So we call it that because it's a 20 night course that walks through all of the key trades. So you get three classes on plumbing, three on electrical, and the whole goal of the course is to give um, a student the basic foundational skills like that are as simple as reading a tape measure, holding an impact driver, you know, hammering nails, but but also mentor them into figuring out which trade is for them. So they get to learn. So they're getting a 20-day crash course right from greenfield to finished product sure what it takes to build a product a house or a a structure and they're getting hands-on experience they're going to learn how to sweat a pipe and get you know get all the stuff in your hands then they get to say well you know of that i really enjoyed this and this right okay and so then what so basically they go through the course. We've got different systems in place to kind of check in and feel out where they want to go. And then our goal is at the end of that course, we help them navigate. 
um, which is the direction and, okay, you know, this kid wants an apprenticeship. So we've got this wide, you know, network of different trades guys that say, hey, so-and-so is looking for a carpentry apprenticeship. You know, do you have some space and kind of connect them? Plus all of the, all of the contractors and subcontractors and all these trades guys are there you know volunteering anyway they're teaching teaching. meeting you know so they're learning these candidates by actually teaching them yeah that's phenomenal it's it's kind of like you're they're donating their time and they're donating their time but in donating their time they're also finding right the very valuable needs of personnel and they're able to evaluate them as these Guys are learning. Absolutely. Guys and gals are learning. And that's awesome. Their volunteering is really what keeps us. You asked that question about, like, though, that don't necessarily come from this hardworking environment. A lot of what I hear from our students is I wanted to bail, but then I saw how many hours these guys were coming in to teach me after they've spent all day on a roof, you know, to come in and volunteer three hours twice a week for me that I stayed. Because they're watching these people model. So the actual philanthropic side of it is what keeps people in the program because they recognize the effort. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these, a lot of these students come from a world—not all of them, but a lot of them come from a world where they've never really had anyone believing in them, and a lot of them, no male role models believing in them. Um, again, and not commitment all. is not necessarily a uh, paramount word. Right. Right. And so you've got, I mean, all of our volunteers just have this real heart to like really empower these kids. And so they're coming into this free program they didn't have to pay for. They're given all these tools and stuff to use in class. They have these teachers that are coming in after a long, hard work day to help give them skills. It's like for the first time they have somebody that's that's saying, hey, we believe that you've got you've got some skills and you've got some talent and you have the capacity to learn and build a career. Um, And I don't I don't think a lot of them heard of that before, not to mention, you know, I think a lot of the students that are drawn to this like maybe didn't cut it in formal education. And so now for the first time, they're like, wait, maybe I was made for this kind of work. And it's got to provide them hope too. Yeah, absolutely. How rewarding. It's very cool. It's very cool to witness and watch the student's journey from the first day of class to the end. This has got to cost some money though. It does. Where does (laughs) all this money come from? We fundraise. We've got partners. We've we've had the privilege. I mean, being in the trades industry, I mean, it doesn't take much to approach, you know, someone, you know, a lumber company and say, hey, we want to train up the next generation of tradesmen for them to be like, yeah, we get it. We want to. I mean, we've got a, a lumber company by us, Cucan Brothers, that donate all the lumber every semester. You're kidding. Yeah. Wow. Just like any and not just them, but all these different companies that are like, we want to be part of the solution. It doesn't I mean, it doesn't take much, um, but there is, you know, there's a lot of fundraising. I think I've read. Did you did you win a grant from Impact? Yes. Yeah, I think. Do you know the founder of that organization, Wendy Steele, has been a guest? Yeah, Alex was telling me. That's such a small world. When she, the very first one she started, and she said, you know, she got sick of watching females work Mm. their butts off for two weeks to put together a yard sale and a bake sale to raise $6,000 while (laughs) guys raised $20,000 by writing checks at the golf course. And she said, you know what? Women can write checks, too. How cool. And started Impact and... um, Impact 100. Yeah, Impact 100. And now I think they've raised $100 million. $123 million. $123 million. Giving away $100,000 at a time. And you guys were recipient of a $100,000 grant from that chapter up in wherever, right? Yeah, up in Jersey. It is a small world. It is such a small world. We have talked about three different podcasts. Yes, (laughs) Since we've started Since talking, I have connect. to go listen to that podcast. I think they're actually, I mean, they're going to have to fact check me, but I think they're funding, we're going to start an auto mechanics program mm. in the fall. And cool. I think they funded our lift. That's for awesome. Our cars. 
Yeah. Yeah. So there's another connection yes. to the army of normal folks. Yeah, Isn't that absolutely. wild? It's very cool. It is very, very cool. cool. So I, I, I found uh, Alex provided this, which I think is really interesting. Mm-hmm. So um, New Hope's ministry, which helps families in poverty mm-hmm. uh, with a myriad of services, has grown rapidly um, since uh, we took on their headquarters in 2018. We helped them transform another two-floor residential home into a food pantry. The demo... Um, was uh, $25,000, um, and you guys did it for 10 and saved them fifteen grand, And that's $15,000 they can put to use <laughs> for service. Um, uh, another one was Empire Sports Camps. The job estimate to do their thing was 34800 You guys did it for 9800 and saved them $25,000. So you really are the nonprofit for nonprofits. And what that, the beauty of it is, is what you save these nonprofits isn't going in their pockets. It's just money that they're working to raise to serve that they can turn around and give. So your work not only saves the nonprofit, but it saves the people they're trying to serve exponentially. Right. And in the meantime, you've got a mentorship program Mm -hmm. teaching people who really don't have a way to make a living Mm -hmm. to not only make a great living, but fill um, needs for contractors that they can't otherwise fill. Yeah. I mean, it's a full circle. It's very cool. Philanthropy. It's very cool because, you know, like there's a lot of efforts that you could say, you know, it's the teach a man to fish kind of concept. You know, you could – solve the immediate need but if you're not figuring out how to create sustainability in that um it'll only go so far and i think again it's such a it's been so cool to be a part of just seeing the the sustainable impact in all directions that we have this small part but it it ripples into their ministries and it's very neat tell me about gamar virgin am i saying oh gamar gamar virgin yes tell me about him so he he was in one of our first few semesters of the CPM course. Um, so funny. He he came in on like the second day of class, held up his phone to the director and said, Hey, I'm redoing um my my apartment and I have no idea what I'm doing. Can you can you tell me what to do? And he's just this personality that's like, I'm gonna figure out, I'm gonna do it. Um, but he he came into our program to learn construction, um, did really well in the program. What was his background? Um that is a really good question. So he came, I'm trying to remember if he was born here or he moved here from Jamaica. But I think he was doing work with his father in terms of real estate um, was kind of what he was doing. But he was trying to make it in the trades Um, and certainly not gainfully employed. Yes, definitely not. Didn't hadn't built a career here, basically. Um, And so he went through our program, did really well. And then we brought him on as an intern and he stayed on staff. For, I'm trying to remember how many years, quite a, like maybe like two years, two to three years, and then kind of just grew in skill working working alongside our, our staff, then got a job in like leadership management for um, like a building management, kind of moved, moved on to that, and then now has grown so much that now he runs his own remodeling company. How which, does that make you feel? Man, it's just, it's very, very cool. And he, you know, he still comes back every so often and visits class. And it's like, it's amazing to see the fruit of the impact in his life, right? Like now he's married with two two little ones and... Has his own company, I mean... And has his own company. This thing changed his life. We'll be right back. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. 
When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery. But that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily. As I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story, which has morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she, as my father believed, a witch? Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. It is 2024, and we're going to get through this together, folks. My campaign promise to all of you here on Next Question is going to be a good time the whole time, we hope. I have some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring Kris Jenner, who's got some words of wisdom for me on being a good grandmother, or in her case, a good lovey. You know, you start thinking of what you want your grandmother name to be. Like, are they going to call me grandma like I called my grandmother? So I got to choose my name, which is now Lovey. I'll also be joined by Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, to name a few. So come on in and take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. I loved it. Your energy and joy. I'm squeezing every minute I can for you out of this season of Next Question. Last question, I promise. You have to go. I have to go. (laughs) But it's been so fun. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you uh, do you take the time to uh, look in the mirror and say, "Wow, look what we're doing"? Uh, I I take a lot of time to sit, reflect, and I don't know. Thank God and all the people that really just mentored me to get here. You know, I I'm really passionate about the fact that any of us can make tremendous impact. We just gotta know what we're good at and gotta use it to serve people. And so, yeah, it's. It's been a wild ride. I would have never would have never expected it, but it's been really cool to be a part of. I have a, a cool story about a student that I think epitomizes kind of a, a student. Yeah, yeah. So uh actually this past year so let me just start by saying like my favorite part about our program is that it's not just about skill building but about like life building and mentorship and i think our whole program because we're run completely by volunteers it creates this culture that there's a family that comes out of these classes and so there's um there's this one student kevin who i think his story kind of epitomizes that i mean he came into came into the CPM course, really fun personality, really clicked with all the teachers. And even like I would say about halfway through the course was already doing some jobs with three of the Masons, one of the contractors, just really embodying, um, really building all these relationships with our with our teachers. And um, there's a few that really kind of mentored him um, throughout the process. But uh, before, you know, by the middle of the course, he was also showing up on Saturdays with his with his friend, Jared, who was also in the program. And they were coming to volunteer to volunteer. So they were going wow. to class during the week and then coming on Saturdays. And so I just to kind of illustrate the importance that, you know, our ministry kind of built in terms of community. Um, first of all, Jared was canceling his paid job just to come and volunteer. Wow. And work with us, and right? This is not a wealthy kid. He probably needed. No, I mean, two best friends from Patterson. You know, still really young, building their career. Um, but I think the community that was built, and the education, and the mentorship, really, really gave them something that they maybe didn't have before. So you're not um, only teaching them how to do the work, but how to live. Absolutely. Absolutely. We start every night with a core value and we tie that to the industry and tie that to life. Um, but one time, Kev, 
so so one Friday night at like 2 a.m. gets into a car accident, car totaled, you know, like just it was a little it was a bit of a scary incident. He, I have permission to share the story, but um, he comes in the next day. He shows up to the site and he had like he had no car, had this like traumatic accident and had walked like three miles to get to our site just to volunteer with the crew. And and, you know, it's. You know, it's just one one little story of his journey. I mean, he there's there's tons of things of the relationships that were kind of built in his life, but but it kind of shows the impact that our community is our our program is making on these these kids. That the guy had a the guy totaled his car yeah. and walked three miles in order to volunteer. Yes, yes, that is phenomenal to come up with to come and volunteer. What's which, he doing now, Dina? Yeah, I mean, he's doing, he's working three days a week with one of our lead contractors that teaches the class. He also has got some real estate stuff going on at the same time. Um, he'll pick up work for another one of the Masons that really just, he really um, clicked with that Mason and came part of the family, went to the church for the first time with him. And really? there's, yeah, it's, there's a lot of really, really cool stories that happen with these students. And, and yeah, it's, uh, Really cool to watch. That's kind of how it works, isn't it? You get, you find your inspiration and your payoff in the work you do in Mm. the most unlikely places often. Absolutely. Mm. And I guess a story like Kevin is what fuels you to keep going. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it's it's more than, I mean, obviously equipping him with a skill to get a job is incredible. But it's, it's more than that. It's, you know, providing a place where, you know, they want to work harder because they now have the confidence because people have believed in them and gives them the motivation to, to, you know, grow in life. This all started from, you know, one dude and some guys like your dad wanting to help and just kind of a loosely organized Mm -hmm. thing that is now, um, a great organization teaching and serving and being a philanthropy for philanthropies. And the other thing I think that's amazing about it is it's scalable. Why couldn't mm. you do this in every city? Well, that's, that's a thought actually. we Tell me about that thought. Yeah. So um, we've been, I feel like the last two years we've been in conversations about, okay, how do we take what we have and put it on paper and figure out how to replicate this? There's talks of there's another um, town in Jersey that we're in talks of another building in another location of Jersey where there's talks of planting another location there. Um, I think I think it's very um, I think it could really spread and have multiple locations. Obviously, there's Jersey isn't the only state that's hurting for workers. And no, it's every um, state. Yeah, literally (laughs) every state, every state. and so our process has really been the last two years trying to figure out how do we so much of this has been organic and in our heads and how do we put this in a system on paper that we can kind of pass it off and say, hey, let's do another location here. Let's do another location there. So obviously we pay attention to all of the building data and analytics in my mm-hmm. business. Mm-hmm. And one of the one of the, the starkest um reminders of the shape we're in is that um my children are 25 6 7 and 8 28 27 26 25 mm. their generation what are, what are they they're not millennials what are they generation what are my kids they they might they, be low end millennial into gen z yeah they're I'm definitely kind of like the middle whatever they are yeah. they're definitely low end that <laughs> but anyway i think they are gen z's think they are that generation is the first generation no i'm not i'm not saying this wrong that generation has waited longer to marry Mm. and buy property it's the longest waiting generation in american history but as a result these kids are ready to get out of their parents basement Mm. they're ready to quit renting Mm. There, that generation is finally starting to enter the market, mm. the housing market, and as a result of the housing market, the furniture market, and as a result of the furniture market, the flooring market, and it's a very large generation. Mm. And because baby boomers are still living, 
there's fewer and fewer used houses becoming mm-hmm. available. So you've got secondhand homes being lived in longer mm-hmm. and a large generation who hasn't been buying now entering the marketplace. And as a result, there is a seven-year estimated deficit of housing coming up over the next decade. Seven-year deficit of housing, both single-family and multifamily, meaning standalone right. homes and condos or apartments. Right, right. At the exact same time, there is 60% fewer people in the trades than there were 10 years ago. So we have a seven-year deficit of housing with a massive demand coming up and half of the people available in our country to build these structures than there was only 10 years ago. What does that mean? (laughs) Housing is going to be expensive Mm -hmm. because it's supply and demand. There's huge demand, less supply, less people to build the supply, thus it's driving housing up. And that is exacerbating the problems of overly expensive housing in places like Manhattan and L.A. and San Francisco where you see this homeless boom. Right. Which is also why you see housing in places like Texas and Florida and Tennessee absolutely exploding because Mm -hmm. it's much cheaper there and there's still some labor available. Yeah. Yeah. So when you put all of that together, when I hear your story – I think there's a need for your organization literally in every city in the country. The training so. part, the mentoring part, and the growing the uh, the nonprofits part that are getting yeah. involved in doing this work. I mean, I, I think the little thing that you guys now have grown into a big thing in that area mm-hmm. could grow into a national thing with uh, with a lot of welcome welcome mats. Um, by contractors in cities. I mean, so do you want to export it or do you want to just share the idea with others to do it? Yeah, I mean. Or both. Kind of both. Actually, funny story. We had this group from Wisconsin that found us online, reached out and said, hey, we want to do this. Can we come and learn? They flew out to New Jersey, stayed with our director for like, I don't know, maybe like four days, kind of learned all these things, went back, started asking around. And we have like a meeting in a week or two, just talking through the minutiae. They formed a board, they formed an organization. And and in that way, we just want to help them start their thing. Right. Which is and beautiful. So, which, and that's in keeping with your whole philanthropic right. mentality. I mean, we don't we don't need to profit from it. I mean, we see a need and we want we want to our heart is that we want to equip other people to take take the the skills that they've been given the resources they've been given and to serve the community and if it means inspiring other groups to do it i mean you know our world's better for and clearly it clearly you're doing it in wisconsin but why not the rest of the country <laughs> yeah it's a fair point so that's kind of what we're we're trying to we're trying to systematize our 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 back end to figure out how we can kind of be prepared to do that. So if anybody wants to start their own or partner with Absolutely. you guys, which you'd probably be open to either. Absolutely. Absolutely. We've been in the process of like copywriting our curriculum and kind of really trying to formalize these things so that, you know, we can be kind of a catalyst to other people stepping up and doing it in their own communities. So if somebody listening to us wants to do this, how do they, how do they get in touch with you? Yeah, I mean, I would say reach out on our website. I mean, they could they could reach out. We've got an info email. I see all of them. So well, tell me what it is. Yeah, so it's info at servantsheartnj.org. Spe- say that slower. You said it like somebody from New Jersey. I'm from Memphis. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> info at servants heart. Servants plural heart. Servants heart nj as in New Jersey dot yeah. org. Got it. And they come to you? And they come to us, fill out our contact form, email, send an email. One last question. Still got to be pretty much a male-dominated thing. Yes. (laughs) What's it like for you? You're now mid-30s, I guess. I'm trying to do the math from what you're showing. Yep. Mid-30s, female, you know, fashion person that thought they'd be toting pails to the mules. (laughs) Pails to the mules. Yeah. And now this male dominated construction thing, is is there any chance that girls see you and say, hey, I can do this too? Because that because Mm -hmm. we don't need to limit this opportunity and need to half the population. 
Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it's been a, a wild, very cool experience coming from like only ever working with women to only working with men. But but it's been it's been really cool because I just feel like I've I work with the coolest group of guys and girls now. We've have a lot of girls They are coming in now. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Our sites are filled with females. Um but and and actually with our program, we graduate about fifteen percent females. That's awesome. In our program, which is really cool. Going into what traits? All of them? Going Just- yeah, like different ones. We've had different interests, you know, all around. But we've got I feel like there's been a decent amount interested. We have a welding course mm. um, that are going into welding, but I mean, part of, I mean, part of my heart when I I'm still serving on Saturdays because I just love being even doing the it all. You still volunteer I'm on Saturdays still, in your own organization. You know, I mean, I'm I'm paid to be there. I'm not a volunteer. I can't take all that credit, but but I still love working alongside the volunteers, and and I do. I I really I love being able to serve with the females because. Um. Yeah, I think there. It's fun to watch things click as they learn and and the confidence kind of develop. This summer, I I uh, I hosted a a program, a summer program called Girl Shop Talk, which mm. was um a a wood shop and Bible study for teen girls, and it was just wood shop and Bible study yes. for. Te- There's something I haven't heard yet. Yeah. It was it was a weird combination, but it was just the coolest because I had all these thirteen to sixteen year year old girls come in, and I I rallied up some of my friends who are handy, and um, it was really cool watching them go from being terrified of a chop saw to just like kind of hammering. It. It after. Yeah, it was it was the first time you know I'm kind of on the outskirts watching all these trades guys engage with these students, and it was the first time I was like. No, I get to be in the in the teacher end, kind of empowering these What's girls. What's your favorite trade? I mean, I really like carpentry, but I've become the go-to tiler on site. Really? Yes. So I've tiled a lot of bathrooms. Well, in the last and ironically years. enough, that's what you And your it was first, my first one. Your first it clicked. Thing. And it was it's it clicked and Have it you stuck. learned enough that you could build a house? You think you could do it? With guidance? No, I, I couldn't build a house myself, but I think I could do I could do a decent amount. I mean, I I've sat and formulated all the curriculum with the trades guys, so I learn I now I can I know enough to be dangerous. Yeah. But I think uh I could help. Did you ever house. think sitting in design school that this would be <laughs> no. the track of your life? No, it would have never ever crossed my mind. But it's I was I was telling Alex in the car, you know, I look back and it's just like I would have never expected any of the stuff that I've done in the last few years. But it's weird. Until you try something, you don't know if you're made for it. Mm. And it's just I would never go back. It's just the coolest environment. I've loved I've loved learning construction and being around all these guys and really meeting needs in our tangible needs in our community. Christina Mendez, the uh, daughter of two hardworking children of immigrants from Cuba, Puerto Rico, growing up in New Jersey in a really average middle class, hardworking family who um, whose parents always gave and I guess illustrated you the importance of service. Mm. And here you are, um, a former fashion designer running a nonprofit, both teaching kids, young adults, how to enter the trades in a very needed capacity mm-hmm. and um, being part of running a, a philanthropy for philanthropists, for a, a nonprofit for nonprofits and changing lives in the process. What an amazing story. That's cool. Well, your work is amazing. Your work is needed. Your work is uh, appreciated and your, your humility is... Um, I, I guess passed down to you naturally. Mm. <laughs> um, bless your parents and bless you. And thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. And thank you for joining us this week. If Christina Mendez or another guest has inspired you in general, or better yet, to take action by 
donating to Servant's Heart Ministry by starting something like it in your own area or something else entirely, please let me know. I'd love to hear about it. You can write me anytime at bill at normalfolks.us. And guys, you can ask anybody who's emailed me. I will respond. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and on social. Subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it. Become a premium member at normalfolks.us. All the things that can help us grow an army of normal folks. I'm Bill Courtney. I'll see you next week. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.